Volume 1, Chapter 4 of Say and Seal by Susan and Anna Warner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 4 The illumination lasted through the night, until night's candles were burnt out and jocund day stood tiptoe on the misty mountaintops. Very jocund she looked, with her light pink veils wreathing about the horizon and the dancing white clouds which hurried up as the sun rose, driven by a fresh wind. Mr. Linden declared when he came into breakfast that the day promised to equal the preceding night. "'And whoever wants more,' he added, "'must wait, for I think it will not surpass it.' With which Mr. Linden stirred his coffee, and told Miss Danforth with a little look of defiance, it was particularly good, she had better try a cup. Miss Danforth instituted a fierce inquiry as to the direction of the preceding evening's walk, to which Faith gave an unsatisfactory answer. "'Did you ever look at coffee in connection with the fatigues of life?' pursued Mr. Linden. "'I shall, probably, in future,' said Miss Danforth. "'Now, Mr. Linden, I ask you, you're a nice man to give a straight answer. Where did you and Faith go?' "'I am glad I am a nice man,' said Mr. Linden, "'but I can scarce give a straight answer to that question.' "'Why not, for pity's sake?' "'It must needs travel a crooked road.' "'Did you?' "'It has left a meandering sort of recollection in my mind.' "'Where did it lead to?' "'It led to another.' "'What I want to know is,' said Miss Danforth, where did you find yourselves when you were furthest from home? Let me show you, said he. Suppose your plate to be a rock, and this tumbler of radishes a tree, and the tablecloth grass, the moon over your head, crickets under your feet. Miss Faith walks round the rock, I follow her, and we both follow the road. On the way the still night air is enlivened with owls, grasshoppers, family secrets. Our attention is thus divided between the moon and sublunary affairs. Miss Faith, what shall I give you? Miss Danforth's curiosity seemed for once willing to be satisfied with fun and Faith's hunger was in the same predicament. "'But, child,' said Mrs. Derrick, who had bent her attention upon the diagram at the other end of the table, "'I don't recollect any such place.' "'Mother,' said Faith, and her gravity gave way hopelessly. "'Squire Deacon sends his best compliments of the season,' said Cindy, opening the door a while later, "'and he says they'll be to take supper precisely at four. I'm free to confess he don't look much sweeter than common,' added Cindy. "'Pray, Miss Faith,' said Mr. Linden, as they left the table, what is the precise depth of water down at the shore? Faith had very nearly broke down again, for she laughed and blushed a good deal more than her wont, and at last replied that it depended on how far people went in. She never went very far herself. I was naturally curious, said he. After a dinner somewhat more hasty than usual, Mr. Linden and two of the ladies set off for the shore. The blackberry jam, or some other hindering cause, kept Mrs. Derrick at home. The country by daylight looked rich and smooth. At not a very great distance a slight hilly elevation bounded the horizon line, which nearer seen would have been found bristling with stern grey rock, itself a ridge of rock, one of the ribs of the rigid soil. But where the lane led down to the water, fair fields and crops extended on every side, spotted very picturesquely with clumps of woodland. All looked genial in the summer light. If the distant rocks spoke a stubborn soil, the fine growth between said that man had overcome it, and the fine order everywhere apparent said too that the victory had been effectual for man's comfort and prosperity. The stone walls, in some places thin and open, told of times when they had been hurriedly put up. Moss on the rail fences said the rails had been long doing duty. Within them no fields failed of their crops, and no crops wanted hoeing or weeding. No straw lay scattered about the ricks, no barrack roofs were tumbling down, no gateposts stood sideways, no barnyards showed rickety outhouses or desolate mangers. No cattle were poor, and seemingly no people. It was a pretty ride the party had in the little wagon behind an old horse that knew every inch of the way and trotted on as if he were a part of it. "'How do you like Pataquasset, Mr. Linden?' said Faith, leaning forward to reach him where he sat alone on the front seat. 
I like it. Well, he answered a little musingly. They came to the bridge and stream, and now they could see that Awasi River did not fill its sometime channel, but flowed in a bottom of alluvial soil, rich in bright-colored marsh grass, which stretched up the country between two of those clumps of woodland they had seen from a distance. A little further on, just where the sandy road branched off to the shore, there stood a farmhouse, with a conglomerate of barns and outhouses, all painted to match, in bright yellow picked out with red. "'Do you see that settlement of farmhouses?' said Faith, leaning forward again. "'Of all sizes and uniform?' "'Is it the fashion here to put earmarks on buildings?' he answered with a smile. "'Mr. Linden, you should ask Mr. Simlins that. I see his wagon there. He'll be down at the shore very likely. He's a character. He lives a mile and a half further on, just where the road turns off to Mrs. Summers.' "'Simlins,' was the only reply. "'He's a good sort of man, but he's funny.' "'What is a good sort of man, Miss Faith?' The old horse was walking quietly along the sandy road, and the smell of the salt water was becoming pleasantly perceptible. "'I suppose I mean by it,' said Faith thoughtfully, "'a man who is not very good, but who is on the good side of things.' "'I don't call that a good sort,' said Mr. Linden. Then looking round with a little smile, he said, "'You ought to say, sort o' good.' Faith looked serious, and as if she felt half rebuked. "'But,' she said, "'you would not call that a bad sort?' "'Then you mean that he is in the same road with what you call the best people, only not so far advanced?' "'No,' said Faith doubtfully. "'I don't mean so much as that. I don't think Mr. Simlins is in the same road with you.' "'How many best roads are there to the same place? As, for instance, does it matter which of these two I take to the shore?' "'Only one leads to the shore,' said Faith. "'Yet they seem to lie near together at the outset.' The same is true of the other shore. Faith sat back in her place with a face exceedingly unlike a young lady who was going to a merrymaking. But they were near the shore now. Not only the salt smell proclaimed it, but they could see the various bathing and other houses collected at the place, and the flag which floated high from the flagstaff, telling all who were not concerned that it was a gala day. A piece of ground immediately surrounding these buildings was fenced in. As they neared the gate, it was open for them, and a tall farmer-looking man, whose straw hat shaded a sensible face, nodded as they passed. "'That is Mr. Simlins,' said Faith. Mr. Simlins seemed for the present to be king of the castle. Horses there were and wagons standing here and there, and one or two oldish faces looked out from the windows of one long shady, but the rest of the birds had flown into the water. It was the time of low tide, and the long strips of rippling water which lay one beyond the other were separated by sandbanks nearly as long. In these little tide lakes were the bathers, the more timid near shore, taking almost a sand bath, the more adventurous going further and further out, till the last party bathed beyond the last sandbank. Not dressed in the latest Cape May fashion, nor the latest fashion of any kind, for each had brought some dress too old to be hurt with salt water. Calico frocks of every hue and pattern, caps, handkerchiefs, sunbonnets, gave additional force to the cries and shouts and screams which were wafted in shore. But when they began to come in, and when the bathing dresses were hung on the fence to dry, and when mermaid visions appeared at the windows, who shall describe the scene then? Overall, a blue smoke now began to curl and float, rising from the stovepipe of the eating-house. Mr. Linden had driven up to one of the fence-posts, and fastening his horse stood a while watching the show, till the bathers began to draw in from the water, then helped the ladies out. "'Which of these baskets contains my tea, Miss Faith?' he said. "'I feel a particular interest in that basket.' "'Perhaps your tea is in some other basket,' said Faith, "'but both of these must come into the eating-house. Oh, thank you, Mr. Linden.' The eating-house was a long shanty, built for the express purpose of feasting picnic and other parties. At one end of it, within the house, was a well of excellent water. At the other end, a door opened into a cooking-house, which held a stove, 
and through the length of the apartment a narrow table of boards was erected, ready to be covered with any description and any succession of tablecloths. In this room Mr. Linden, with Faith's help, deposited her baskets, while Miss Danforth looked on. At the door of the shanty coming out they met Mr. Simlins. Faith made the introductions. "'Happy to have your acquaintance,' said Mr. Simlins. "'This is a piece of Pataquasset, sir, that we all of us rather cordially like. You haven't seen it before?' "'Yes, I don't wonder you like it,' said Mr. Linden. "'The seashore is no novelty to me, sir. Such a shore party is.' "'I hope you'll enjoy it as the rest of us do. We all do as we like, Mr. Linden. I hope you'll use the grounds as your own. We have the flag flying, sir, and it ratifies liberty to all who amuse themselves under it.' Mr. Linden looked up at the stars and stripes, with an acknowledging smile for the benefits thereby conferred. "'Faith! Faith! Derrick!' called out half a dozen mermaids from the bathing-house, and Faith was obliged to go, while her companions walked up the green slope and entered into a deep discussion of the crops and the weather. A while after, when Faith was busy about the supper-table, twenty young voices chiming around her, another voice that she did not know spoke close at her elbow. "'Miss Faith, I am Reuben Taylor. Mr. Linden told me to come to you and make myself useful. Is there anything I can do? Would you like some round clams? Father's out there in the boat.' The earnest eyes said how gladly he would do anything. "'Who is your father?' said Faith, a little surprised. "'My father's a fisherman.' "'The very thing,' said Faith. "'If you'll help me roast him, Reuben. I guess nobody else'll want to do it, but I'd just as leave. Can you have him here quickly, and I'll see and have the stove ready?' "'Oh, I'll fetch him, and roast him too, Miss Faith. I'm used to it,' he added, with a half-bashful, half-admiring glance at her face. Faith had the fire ready by the time Reuben returned with the clams. The kettle was on to boil, and nothing else was wanted of the fire, as it happened by anybody, least of all to roast clams that necessarily making a kitchen prisoner of the roaster, so Faith and her new coadjutor had the field, i.e. the cooking-house, all to themselves. Miss Danforth was to leave Pataquasset in a day or two and was busy talking to everybody. Readily the clams opened their shells on the hot stove-top, savorily the odor of steaming clam-juice spread itself abroad, but Faith and Reuben were in for it and nobody else cared to be in. So when Miss Cecilia Deacon had finished her toilet, which was somewhat of the longest, as it had been one of the latest, she found nobody but her brother to apply to on the score of her hostess duties. "'Sam,' said the young lady, pinching her brother's arm, "'I haven't been introduced to Mr. Linden.' "'He'll keep,' was the encouraging reply. "'Yes, but supper won't. See, Sam, I haven't been introduced to him, and I must.' The squire nodded his head politely and began to whistle. "'Come, you Sam, you've got to, and in a hurry. I can't find Faith or I'd make her.' "'Well, I can't find him,' said the squire pettishly. "'I haven't got neither of them in my pocket.' "'Nor the crown of my hat,' he added, taking off that useful article of dress for the express purpose of looking into it. "'My deliberate judgment is to have supper.' "'Don't be a goose, Sam. What's the use of asking him if you didn't mean to conduct yourself?' "'Didn't ask him.' "'Who did?' "'I didn't hear anybody,' was the squire's reply. "'Don't you mean to introduce me, Sam Deacon?' said his sister, in a tone which was rather over the verge of patience. "'Jim Williams,' said the squire, calling up a spruce embodiment of blue cloth, brass buttons, and pink cravat. "'I say, here's Silly, off the hooks, to get hold of the new teacher. Whereabouts do you suppose he is?' "'Really, squire,' said Jem Williams, with a silly little laugh. "'I couldn't testify. Reckon he knows Miss Silly'd keep hold of him if she got a chance.' "'Shan't speak to you in a month, Jem,' said the lady, with a toss of her head, and some heightening of the really pretty color in her cheeks. You may fix it as you've a mind to among you, and let anybody that likes bring him into supper. I'm going in out of the way myself. Whither she went, on the spur, as good as her word, nor showed her pretty face again outside. Meanwhile Reuben and Faith had worked on through their basket of clams, and now the last were sputtering on the stove. 
The work had been done almost in silence, for though the excitement now and then made Reuben break into a low whistle of some tune or other, he always checked himself the next moment with a very apologetic look. For the rest, if he had not done all the work himself, it certainly was not his fault. Now, watching quietly the opening shells of that last dozen of clams, Reuben remarked, "'I hope Mr. Linden won't forget about supper.' "'Why, what about it?' said Faith. "'Why should he forget? Or what if he does?' The last sentence seemed to puzzle Reuben. "'I don't know, ma'am,' he said. "'It's better before everybody eats it up.' "'Who's going to eat it up?' said Faith. "'Where is he?' "'He went down on the sands with me,' said Reuben. "'But he didn't come up again. Maybe he has now. He liked it down there real well.' Faith went to the shutter window and flung it open, and looked to see whether or no the missing gentleman had returned to the shore. It was a fair view that lay spread before her. The low beams of the sun gave a cool afternoon look to everything— the sloop sails shone and gleamed in the distance. Down by the mussel rocks one little boat lay rocking on the advancing tide, which was fast covering the sandbanks and connecting the strips of water, and the freshening breeze curled the little waves as they came dancing in and brought a low sweet murmur to the shore. One or two gulls sailed floatingly about, and a brown mink, perceiving that the company had retreated to higher ground, came out and aired himself on one of the rocks. But Faith saw none of these things, for in swinging open her shutter, which the wind caught and clapped up against the house, she so nearly swung it against Mr. Linden that her first look was a startled one. "'Miss Faith,' he said, turning round, "'what can you possibly be about?' "'I beg your pardon, Mr. Linden,' said Faith. "'Is that all you are about?' "'You were anxious about your supper, Mr. Linden. Are you ready for it?' "'Much more ready than anxious, Miss Faith.' "'How do you like the shore today?' said Faith, dropping her voice, and giving a glance of her eye to the fair, cool, sunlight colors on the water and shore and shipping fresh as the very sea-breeze itself, and glittering as the water's thousand mirrors could make them. He turned and looked again, drawing in the breeze with a deep breath that more than answered her question. "'How do you like this?' he said, handing her through the window a little miniature tree of red seaweed. Then, while she examined it, he repeated, "'Wind descends on the Atlantic, the gigantic, storm-wind of the equinox. Landward in his wrath he scourges the toiling surges, laden with seaweed from the rocks.' from Bermuda's reefs, from edges of sunken ledges, in some far-off bright azure, from Bahama and the dashing silver-flashing surges of San Salvador, from the tumbling surf that buries the Orkneyan scaries, answering the hoarse hybrids, and for wrecks of ships and drifting spars uplifting on the desolate rainy seas, ever drifting, drifting, drifting on the shifting currents of the restless main, till in sheltered coves and reaches of sandy beaches all have found repose again." Faith's eye was upon the sprig of seaweed while these verses were repeating. Then she looked up at the speaker with an intenseness in which oddly mingled some strong feeling of sorrow or regret. "'It's beautiful,' she said. "'Beautiful, both the one and the other. But there are a great many things there I don't understand,' she added once more with a smile. "'If there was time, but there isn't. Mr. Lyndon Reuben and I have been roasting clams.' "'Yes, Miss Faith,' he said, answering the smile and stepping near the window. "'So one of my senses informed me. Do you know what that is in your hand?' It's seaweed, isn't it? Yes. And moreover, Miss Faith, that is part of your marine flora. Now what about the clams? My what? said Faith. First, tell me, please, what you said. Your marine flora. What is that? The particular department of life in the sea of which this is a specimen. Faith looked puzzled and amused. You don't mean to enlighten me any more than you can help, she said. But why do you call it flora? You used that word before. And, oh, Mr. Linden, you can't tell me now, for supper's all ready. His eyes looked amused, too, and laying a clover-head on the window, he said, "'That is part of your land, Flora.' Then pushed the shutter to rather quick but softly, and Faith heard the reason thereof as follows. 
Well, sir, if this be you, I've looked all over for you. How was it that you overlooked me then, sir? was Mr. Linden's reply. Don't just know, laughed Jem Williams, but Miss Silly Deacon wants you the worst kind. And where shall I go to receive her commands? said Mr. Linden. Faith heard their retreating steps, and turning to take off her apron, saw the dish of hot clams still on the stove, and that Reuben had removed himself outside the door, quite beyond the conversation, but not beyond call. He stood looking thoughtfully out toward the mussel rocks. "'Oh, Reuben, there you are, come,' said Faith. "'You're going in with me. You're going to have some supper tonight, whoever else does. You open the door, and I'll take in this dish. You keep by me, Reuben.' "'Please let me take the dish, then, Miss Faith. I can open the door first. But Faith had her own way, and followed by Reuben, carried the clams into the supper-room, where some of the company were already seated, and others stood waiting. Squire Deacon had not only given the desired introduction, but had, self-denyingly, placed Mr. Linden next Miss Silly at the table, where he stood. "'Here's a contribution,' said Faith, "'if somebody'll make a place for it. Thank you, Mr. Deacon. Now, Reuben, come here.' And refusing more than one offer of a place at the table, Faith made her way down to the well-end, where there was room for two, at a remote distance from the tea and coffee." What else was there not upon that table? "'Won't you take a seat, Mr. Linden?' said Miss Cecilia. "'I hope you've got room there. Jerushi, can't you shove down a little? I hope my coffee-pot's not disagreeable.' "'I hope not,' said Mr. Linden, surveying the coffee-pot. "'How long does it take to declare itself, Miss Deacon?' "'Oh, it won't do anything but spout coffee,' said the young lady, "'if you don't mind that. Won't you be helped to what you like, Mr. Linden? I hope you have enjoyed our shore party this afternoon.' "'Thank you.' said Mr. Linden, feeling perhaps that it was not their party he had enjoyed. There has been a combination of pleasant things. As far as I could judge, the bathers enjoyed their particular expedition. Oh, yes, it was delightful, invigorating. Mr. Simmons, I think Mr. Linden will like a piece of that cherry pie with his clams. Do you take cheese, Mr. Linden? Is your coffee agreeable? There's the cold tongue by you, Jerushi. I hope you like Pataquasset. Ask Mr. Linden whether Pataquasset ain't a good place for handsome gals, said Mr. Simmons, as he handed over the piece of cherry pie. He knows by this time— I say there's a concatenation of beauty now here this afternoon. If you look from the top to the bottom of the table now, ain't it true, sir? Mr. Linden certainly looked from the top to the bottom of the table, and then setting the plate of cherry pie as far from his clams as he could, he said, Miss Deacon, let me help you. Tell me where these cups belong, and I will convey them to their destination. I thought they'd shove down somehow, said the young lady. True, she do pass the coffee. They're for anybody down there who'll take coffee. Tea'll be along presently added Miss Cecilia, raising her voice a little to give the information. Don't you trouble yourself, Mr. Linden. But Mr. Linden secured one, and carrying it down to Faith, requested her to stir it and taste it, and not give him the trouble of coming back with the sugar bowl. What will you have? he said, while she obeyed his directions. Here are all the pies that can be thought of except the musical one recorded in history. And so, said Faith, with a laughing flash of her usually soft eye, you immediately give me a desire for the one not here. It's like you, Mr. Linden. No, thank you. I'll have none of these. I believe Reuben has a desire for some of the clams he and I have roasted. I'm afraid I cannot get them away from Squire Deacon, he said, but I'll try. The squire, however, held fast to the dish, and rising from his place midway at the table, insisted upon taking it to Faith himself. Miss Faith, he said, you have ruined my supper by sitting down here. My appetite has quite forsaken me, whereupon Jem Williams observed that weren't strange. "'And the worst is,' added the squire, "'I can't maintain the constant supervision of your plate which my feelings prompt. I am too far off,' he concluded in a melancholy tone. "'I say, squire,' said Jem Williams, "'you bain't more'n as far again as he,' with a nod towards the upper end of the table. Squire Deacon lowered, but for the present his feelings were restrained. "'Mr. Simlins,' said Endicott, when he had resumed his seat, "'I ask you, as one who knows the country, whereabouts does the concatenation you spoke of reach a climax?' 
The star you look at is always the brightest, said the farmer. However, I think the clams is the best thing at table, or near the best, with a slight glance towards Squire Deacon in the dish at the well end. I have a legendary attachment to beauty, sir. My father married the three prettiest wives in the country. I say, Squire, said Jem Williams, Mr. Simlin says you're hot. Hot, said Squire Deacon, flushing up very much and setting down the clams. That dish is. I'm as cool as all these cucumbers accumulated into a heap. Hope you'll stay where you are, then, said Mr. Simlins. I'm cool, too. Don't come near me, or we shall be in a state of concentration. Mr. Linden remarked that that was an excellent point when reached. What point? said Squire Deacon, who had returned to his seat with the strong impression that everybody was laughing at him, under the special guidance of the new teacher. You know mighty little of the points round here, I tell you. The point of concentration is found in various places, sir, said Mr. Linden, though I grant you it is rare. "'What do you know about Pataquasset points?' repeated the squire. "'Or Pataquasset people, or Pataquasset water, either, for that matter. "'Just you go down here when the tide's in, "'and afore you know where you are, "'you'll find yourself waiting round over your head.' "'No, sir, never,' said Mr. Linden, with great assurance. "'Why not? How are you going to help it?' said Squire Deacon. "'When I reach that point,' said Mr. Linden, "'I shall swim.' "'And Faith heard Reuben Taylor's smothered laugh of great gratification.' "'Hope you haven't spoiled your own supper, Squire,' said Mr. Sinlin, "'by your complacency in carrying about them hot clams. "'Have something this way?' While this question was getting its answer, Faith sat back in her chair and looked up and down the length of the table. It presented a distinguished after-supper view, but the demands of the company had not yet ceased. Mr. Sinlin's was still discussing cheese and politics. Jem Williams was deep in cherry pie. Plum cake was not out of favor with the ladies. The Squire was hard at work at his supper, which had been diversely and wickedly interrupted.' He was making up for lost time now, while his sister, much disengaged, was bending her questions and smiles on Mr. Linden. Faith tried to see Mr. Linden, but she couldn't. He was leaning back from the table, and her eyes went out of doors. It was too fair and sweet there to be cooped up from it. The sun had just set. Faith could not see the water. The windows of the eating-house looked landward, but the air which came in at them said where it had come from, and breathed the salt freshness of the sea into her face. But presently every chair was pushed back, and now there was no more silence nor quiet. The busy swarm poured out of the supper-room, the men to lounge or tackle their horses, the women to gather up the bathing-dresses from the fence, to look round, laugh, and go in again to pack up the dishes. It would seem that this last might be a work of time. Each had to find her own through such a maze of confusion. There was a spoon of Miss Cecilia's providing and a cup of Mrs. Derrick's, beside a plate of Mrs. David's, and before a half-eaten cherry pie which had been compounded in the distant home and by the fair fingers of Miss Jerusha Fax. However, most people know their own, at least, and as on the present occasion nobody had any particular desire to meddle with what was not her own, the difficulty was got through with. The baskets and hampers were packed again and stowed in their respective wagons, and everybody was bidding good-bye to everybody. Noisy thanks and praises fell liberally to the share of Miss Cecilia and her brother, and the afternoon was declared to have been splendid. End of chapter 4